welcome back to another Daily Walk. Well, today we're actually going to talk a little bit about textual criticism, and we might do this for a couple of weeks, talking about a few different points. I took a couple of notes as I was reading through a few different resources. And uh, so I want to talk today just kind of briefly about uh, the different Greek texts and textual criticism, what it is, the various uh, viewpoints. And today, all we're going to talk about is the three prevailing ideas of textual criticisms and some final thoughts. So before we start, first and foremost, we're talking explicitly about the Greek, not the Hebrew. The Hebrew has a few different opinions, a few different thoughts, and mostly among the Christian circles, the Hebrew really isn't the one in any contentious debates. But the Greek is, and it begs some questions about um, what do we have, and it boils down to that final, final, ultimate question is, does the... Do the Bible translations we have in our modern language, are they accurate and faithful? And uh, the Greek that we have available to us, is it the word of God is handed down? Of course, we're getting at the heart of the doctrine. The reason this is so important to consider and to question is that in the Christian doctrine, God hands down the word and as God delivered it, at the original time, in the original way, was infallibly the Word of God. The question becomes is, does what we have right now, is that consistent with that? And the ultimate boiling point down is, no matter which of the Greek texts you like, there's really only a 1% difference, and none of that changes any significant meaning in the ultimate texts. So if you want to study and understand the Greek and the original language, that's your best way to see that every single translation has strengths, every single translation has limitations. But the field by which we understand is the Greek that we have is the Greek that we have actually the good Greek, as it was handed down, or are there problems? And this brings us to the field called textual criticism. So textual criticism is just to examine the variety of different manuscripts out there so we can have an understanding of what is likely the correct manuscripts or not, because there's a few different ones out there. And again, none of them differ so significantly as to completely exclude them. But it begs this question because some of the theories are more militant than others, and some of them are more calm than others. There's some good reasons and some bad reasons. So first and foremost, there are three prevailing methodologies of textual criticism. So those are in order, uh, the reasoned eclecticism, which is called the critical textual uh, arguments, we have the majority text theory, and then we have the confessional text theory. All right, so let's boil down into what these three are and what they mean for the Greek text. Reasoned eclecticism, uh, this, is the, this is the most famous one by which the current Greek manuscripts that we have, as what we understand as the best manuscripts, is best tied to. There are limitations to it, and Many will argue we need a fourth level, which is going to take this and then adopt a few extra principles, which, by the way, does happen. And that is the current UBS translations that we have, or the UBS text that we have. It is not a translation, it is the original Greek text. So if you look at the, the UBS, they take 
the majority texts. They take the, um, the eclectic text, the critical text, they merge them together. The problem is nobody's using that as their translation source. They're utilizing one over the, or the other in most cases. Um, but this critical textual theory, this started with Walcott and Hort. So they created a series of rules and their first and earliest foundation is they're going back to the earliest and most complete texts under the theory that the oldest and most complete texts were going to be correct. And when you compare those two texts, while both of those have some serious problems with them, they also are in alignment with 99% of each other, and those are the Codex Vaticanus and the Codex Sinaiticus. So those two texts are, at their time in the 1800s, the earliest known full complete texts, and they nearly agreed with each other almost 100%. The problem is, since then, we have had, I think, something like 400 additional manuscripts that are actually older than those, meaning they're better texts, although the critical text was never really updated to include those, and the footnotes in your Bible that says the earliest manuscripts, blah, 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 it refers just to the Codex Vaticanus and the Codex Sinaiticus rather than the actual earlier manuscripts. And that is the major limitation of that view, is that it excludes all those things earlier because people are stuck in time with Westcott and Holt and they don't want to update it. <laughs> all right. And that is a limitation of that view. And that's actually what the UBS has actually done. It started with that critical text, but did incorporate some of those earlier manuscripts in. Now, what's one of the biggest errors of this is corruption. If there was corruption in those earlier texts that they had, then that corruption would be carried throughout. And that's really is the question. Now, is there corruption in them? It would appear no, because even the later manuscripts, the Byzantines and what would become the Texas Recepticus, those texts generally are in agreement as well. Really, the difference between all of these boils down to 1%. There's a few major errors, but it's things like changing children to horses, and it's very clear from the context it was a typo. The words are very close to each other. All right, so the second prevailing idea is the majority text theory. This simply says the majority of texts that we have that are in agreement with each other must be the correct versions, and so we're going to use those. And so the majority of texts looks at the quantity of texts, but they don't just say the mere quantity. It's the quantity of the texts with the quality. The quantity plus the quality equals closest to the original in their viewpoint. The problem we have is that these texts tend to date a whole lot later than earlier. Why? Well, first and foremost, we have to understand there was this thing called persecution. And if you have the central texts, the earlier texts, most of those earlier texts were destroyed because the church wasn't as widespread. Early persecution of the church led to the destruction of the materials. So we have to rely on texts that have escaped the persecution and then assume were those faithfully carried out or were they not faithfully carried out? And so what we have looking at the majority text theory is the majority text theory, the biggest disadvantage is they're written way later. We're talking in many cases hundreds, if not thousands, uh, like uh, up to about a thousand years later after the times they happen. And so 
it's the in theory according to the uh according to the uh west cotton hort theory is that those would be polluted not necessarily by corruption but by the principles of evolution and this is evolution this is why in in Adam's time, you know, where did the women come from? If Adam had had sons, where did they get their wives? From Adam's daughters. We had a much purer genetic code back then. It wasn't as corrupted by the sun's rays and by the cancer and by the chemicals and by the environment. Our genetic code was way purer back in the day. This is why the 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 connections to marrying your sister and whatnot didn't happen until way later, the time of Moses. And then this gets passed on. Why? Because genetic inbreeding is going to lead to a lot more corruption. As uh, because if you understand biology, uh, the human being is made by the genetic code makeup of the male and the female combining together uh, and then as that happens if one of them has a flaw the other one likely doesn't and so a viable human's going to happen because one of them or the other is going to be good well this is what happens in the majority text is if the scribe has multiple different versions to choose from they're going to choose the one that's of a higher quality so the majority text theory fights against evolution in the same way our current genetics do, but it still has errors accidentally introduced, like changing horses into uh, kids into horses, you know? And so that type of thing does happen. So they do focus on the quality of text, but the problem is, since they're much later, it brings in this some of this extra issues. Now, the third methodology is, I, I generally would refer this as to more the unhinged, even though this is the one that uses Bible verses. The confessional says that God must have kept the Bible. Um, of course, we quote a couple verses, and there's many more, but these are these are um, just a couple of the verses that uh, um, you'll see thrown out back and forth as you discuss these different viewpoints. So one of these is um, Psalm 12, uh, 6 and 7. And by the way, uh, these are arguments thrown out by the King James guys. I'm going to be a heretic and read them in the NASB because they actually say effectively the same thing. The words of the Lord are pure as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. Now, the King James, you will preserve him, you will preserve them. Him is actually the correct translation there, not them, um, if you look at the, the, the Hebrew text. So there is that one, of course, uh, Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. So the confessional view says, well, God must have preserved the word of God. Now, this argument comes out of the King James only argument, which uses exclusively the Texas Recepticus. And as they say, the Texas Recepticus, which is a Latin phrase meaning the received text, I got a hint for you, the Texas Recepticus did not actually exist at the time King James Version was made. Um, we'll get into that another time. I know that's a, a righteous claim that half of you are going to completely hate, but I'm going to get into in a future video why that is the case. Now, the foundation that became the Texas Recepticus, that was a thing. But the Texas Recepticus is two translations down from that, or two versions down from that. The confessional says that God must have kept the word of God. I'm agreeing with that. Here's the problem. If we have hundreds of different texts and there's slight different variations in these different texts, which one did God perfectly preserve? Maybe in our technology, God perfectly preserved it in something like the UBS, which has combined together a lot of these different viewpoints and looked at all of these different principles to say, yes, we do have the word of God as it was preserved done by human scholarship, recognizing that humans are 
erroneous, but as long as we're not corrupt, we can keep it pure, and as long as we have access to the original copies, we can verify its purity. This is also why I'm an open source guy. We can audit the code, basically. This is why the Texas Recepticus and the UBS are slightly different versions. Do they disagree on anything theologically? Absolutely not. But to say the Texas Recepticus is the pure holy one handed down, the problem is there's 28 different texts that all could be the Texas Recepticus. Which one are we talking about? So the confessional viewpoint wants to just say, see, God will preserve his word, and this is the reason. It's the same argument the, that the unhinged King James Only group will quote Bible verses say, see, the King James Only is only it. That just says the Bible. Every Bible says the same things. So um, there's some slight variations, but hopefully that'll whet your appetite to look at the ideas of textual criticism to say that it's, it's, is a complicated field, but what we have is our current Greek versions are actually very good. Particularly, I like those UBS versions are very good. I think we're on what UBS five, I think, uh, which is a very, very good text based on a lot of different, uh, study and research and combining and comparing. And even those differences are very, very well documented, indicating where exactly those differences had occurred. So if we want to talk about what is the best the best text to understand, it's not necessarily the King James or the NASB or the ESV or the NIV. It's the Greek text as we currently have it in human scholarship. And to do it best, we need to understand that original language. So we're going to leave this one here. Thank you for watching today. We'll have more videos on a little bit more of this stuff in uh, in the future upcoming weeks. That Thank you for watching and hope that you enjoy your daily walk and our Lord. Thank you for tuning in. Our Walk in Christ podcast is a listener-supported presentation. For more information about how you can help, check out ourwalkinchrist.com forward slash support or our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Tom M. That's T-O-M-M. Digital and paperback books are available on several online bookstores or at our website. Once again, the website is ourwalkinchrist.com.